Hey, y'all, and welcome to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white people about our role in resistance and showing up and in liberation? This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for our podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Drew and I am a brand new contributor to the Word is Resistance podcast. This is my first ever podcast, so I thank you for joining me and helping me along the way. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm a queer clergy person ordained in the Alliance of Baptist Tradition. I'm speaking to you from Muskogee lands that are also referred to as Atlanta, Georgia. I work here as a chaplain with Emory University Healthcare. This is a podcast designed with white listeners in mind. It is, of course, for anyone and everyone to listen to, and we deeply value feedback from listeners of colors and those of diverse faith traditions. But we are acknowledging that we white folks have extra work to do, that it is our responsibility to learn how to resist the forces of white supremacy that we are complicit with. This podcast specifically is about using our religious teachings to help us in the work of resisting whiteness. For those of us listening who come from the Christian faith, you may know that we are currently in the season of Lent. Lent means a lot of different things to different people, but to me this season is a time for intentionally reflecting on where we notice the harm, cruelty, and hate that exists in our world and how we work to end that hate and violence by repenting and restoring relationships where harm has occurred. In other words, it is an excellent time for white people to think about how we are complicit in systems of oppression and how we can work to dismantle those systems in our lives and world. To center ourselves before we dive into the text, I'm going to read a selection from The Unauthorized Bible by Gary Holthus. This is part of his poem on Genesis, and it's written from the perspective of God. Let's listen to this together as a time of centering prayer. The gift I handed you, green and lovely, filled with sun and purest of waters. You blight with careless hands and greed-filled hearts. Your corporations blacken the air steal the world's water for profit, while my tiniest children, 10,800 of them a day, die for lack of good water. You get no other chance, no other earth from me. How do I sanctify again this world that is now your creation as well as mine? You sanctify it, restore it anew, make it green again, Reverence all my creation, and I will continue my love yet a while. 
That is my final offering. I have no sons or daughters, no tree or fish or plant to spare for you to use to feed your greed. Not one. I created you to have a mind of heaven and be grounded in earth. You are born of stars and rooted in soil. Between the two, you carry within you a special capacity. Bear a particular responsibility are granted a unique opportunity. Standing as you do between heaven and earth, you can assist me to realize heaven on earth, to make the world right by cultivating yourself to desire the right. Therefore, you and I together will work on ourselves first. We have three tasks, you and I, to heal the earth, to care for our neighbors, to cultivate ourselves. Each of these tasks is about justice. Each has its root in our own spiritual lives. Amen. Our text today comes from the book of Exodus in the Hebrew Bible, chapter 17, verses through 1. I will be reading from the Common English Bible translation. The whole Israelite community broke camp and set out from the Sin Desert to continue their journey as the Lord commanded. They set up their camp at Rapidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people argued with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses said to them, Why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were very thirsty for water there. And they complained to Moses, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What should I do with this people? They are getting ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, Go on ahead of the people and take some of Israel's elders with you. Take in your hand the shepherd's rod that you used to strike the Nile River and go. I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Hit the rock. Water will come out of it and the people will be able to drink. Moses did so while Israel's elders watched. He called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites argued with and tested the Lord, asking, Is the Lord really with us or not? The Israelites, we know from earlier in the Exodus story, have already come through many trials. They have put their trust in Moses and God that leaving Egypt to go into the desert will bring a new life for them. Traditionally, we often read the Exodus narrative through the lens of oppression, And many communities of color deeply resonate with the Exodus story. Of course, for those of us who hold societal privilege and power, it can be helpful for us to read the text from a different perspective, even possibly reading against the grain of how we typically know these stories. 
as white folks, our experience is different from the Israelites. But there is still a word of resistance to be found here. When we encounter the Israelites in this text, they have been on their journey into the wilderness, and they are over it. They are tired, thirsty, dirty, and sweaty from walking day after day in the desert. They have followed Moses, believed in his prophetic words, and seen the miraculous works from God. But they're now beginning to wonder, was this really a good idea? Should we really trust Moses? Should we really have trusted God? They are deeply uncomfortable in their current position. And in that state, they begin to question, doubt, and resent their situation. One of the many traits of whiteness is the belief in scarcity. Scarcity is a power tactic held up by empire and capitalism that causes people to falsely believe that there is not enough to go around. Not enough food, water, safety, shelter, or pleasure, to name a few things. And that those who can should hoard their resources lest they be snatched up by another. The belief in scarcity is what drives divisions, wars, and class competition, and calls upon us to view the world and our relationships with others as an us-them rather than I-thou dynamic. So much of our country, our culture, is built upon the myth of scarcity, even when we don't realize it. And white people feel scarcity more acutely because so much of our privilege and power rests on fear of what would happen to us were we to share resources. If you've ever heard the old adage that wealthy people are the stingiest, that is the mindset of scarcity at play. The access to resources that white people have unfairly over others is a terrifying thing to consider losing if you believe that there is not enough to go around, or if you believe that others gaining an inch means that you will be left out in the cold. Scarcity drives us to hold our whiteness in a vice-like, fear-riddled grip. We see the Israelites in their fear and anxiety of being in the wilderness so long that they act out a mindset of scarcity. They feel the pain of a lack of resources, their thirst, and they begin to clamor for Moses to fix the situation. Their fear is real, but in that moment, they have forgotten that God has promised to deliver them. They have lost sight of the miracles they saw performed just before in the story. That fear dissolves their trust. It reminds me of a scenario I have seen played out time and time again in communities, grassroots organizations, and movement spaces. Maybe you will recognize it as well. It goes like this. White folks who are committed to the work of resisting empire, educating themselves, and joining in the struggle remark how enthusiastic they are when they have leaders in the movement who are people of color. Yet when those leaders make hard decisions and navigate difficult strategy or challenge the status quo within an organization, those same white folks begin to protest. They question the authority 
and wisdom of those leaders of color that they had professed to believe in. They begin to undermine their leaders and maybe even try to take away their authority. It's the parabolic, may I speak to a manager, that we often associate with white people. And it comes from perceiving that power is a scarcity and from experiencing whiteness that says when others have power, I must therefore have less. The Israelites in this story get so wrapped up in their scarcity that when God miraculously produces water for them that they had asked for, they are still questioning if God is on their side. They can't see the opportunity and possibility in front of them. So much of our scriptural text invites us to resist the fear-driven persuasion of scarcity in favor of a belief in abundance. Abundance means to trust that there is enough to go around. It's remembering that the suggestion that there might not be enough is a construct of empire. Abundance means that we know that if we help one another, if we lend a hand, share our time, that we really can eliminate need, poverty, isolation, and otherness. Abundance means to remember that we belong to one another, that we are responsible for our neighbor's well-being. Abundance is the enemy of empire. And as we learn to see abundance around us, there is also much we can learn from being in the wilderness. I once had a colleague who is a person of color tell me that an excellent way for white folks to know if they were on the right track in terms of engaging their whiteness, internalized racism, and systems of oppression was the feeling of discomfort. That being uncomfortable is likely a sign that you are beginning to become more aware of your unearned privilege, that you are beginning to feel the tension that exists around false constructs of power that you are beginning to carry guilt for having white supremacy in your bones. The invitation for us as white folks in this time of Lent is to see our discomfort as a gift, to recognize that in moving from a scarcity mindset to one of abundance, we sometimes have to spend some time in the wilderness, remembering that God works alongside us even then. Our Lenten journey can become a reminder that there truly is enough to go around, but we have to believe in it so that we can fight for it. And that even when we are feeling anxious and afraid, we can learn to trust the authority and power of others. And together, we can build power and strength that dismantles empire and builds the kingdom of God anew. As our call to action today, I'd like to invite you to think about the function of repentance during this time of Lent 
and join me in a liturgy of repentance. Now, repentance has a ton of baggage as a concept. We know that in some Christian traditions, it can be used to inflict relationships of oppressive power where people are shamed and humiliated, made to feel less than and broken. It is so destructive to our relationships and one another. To reclaim repentance, I like to think of it as an acknowledgement of the work there is to do for all of us and a recommitment to entering in the work of justice. Repentance is about saying that we know our actions can hurt others and that part of the task of discipleship is to acknowledge that harm as the first step in healing. To honor our season of Lent, I would like to read to you a call and response litany of confession to white supremacy. If you would like, you may repeat the refrain with me, aloud or silently. The refrain is this. Be with us, God, as we repent and turn toward love. When asked... What was the greatest commandment among God's teachings? Our teacher and friend, Jesus, replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. We confess that because of our participation in systems of oppression and white supremacy, We have failed to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because we have not done so, we have failed also to love the holy with all our heart, being, and mind. Be with us, God, as we repent and turn toward love. God, we recognize the ways that we have allowed our implicit biases to cloud our judgment, both consciously and unconsciously, We admit that racism has guided our actions and caused us to discriminate against people of color. We confess the way we have internalized white supremacy and allowed our hearts to be closed to the fullest expression of love. Be with us, God, as we repent and turn toward love. We recognize the systems that we have upheld because we preferred to reap the benefits of white privilege. We acknowledge to God that we have received wealth and opportunity that we did not earn, while our siblings of color were barred from those same opportunities. We confess that we have benefited from systems that privilege us over others and have prized systems of power more than the beloved kingdom. Be with us, God, as we repent and turn toward love. We recognize how we have been silent in the face of inequality. We acknowledge that it has been easier to stay out of conflict and that we have failed to come to the aid of our siblings of color. We confess that we have lacked courage, been content with the status quo, and look to others to solve issues of injustice rather than look to ourselves. Be with us, God, as we repent and turn towards love. God, we confess these things so that we begin to recognize where we have been and where we have yet to go. 
We confess these things so that we commit ourselves to the work of holy love and the building of the kingdom of God. God, we ask as we take on the work of dismantling white supremacy in our world, our community, and our hearts, that you guide us on the path to repairing the harm we have caused. Be with us in our journey that we may have wisdom, courage, and compassion. Be with us, God, as we repent and turn toward love. We make these confessions with the assurance that the God of love partners with us in our task of repentance. Know that you are forgiven and loved by God and by this community. Amen. Friends, as we continue in this season, you may want to consider, as a Lenten practice, some tangible act of repentance that you can do today. That may be sending a donation to one of the causes that Surge Faith has on their website, or by volunteering your time with a grassroots organization in your local area. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org, where you can stay up to date on current opportunities. Our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search The Word is Resistance. You can respond to our podcast by commenting there or on our Facebook or Twitter accounts. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to our podcast. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which includes references, resources, and action links. Finally, a huge thanks as always to our sound editor this week, Max Pearl. Thank you so much for listening and journeying with me. Peace to you, beloveds. Oh,